Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to the Linux Action Show, episode 427. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. We got a big show this week. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, it's pretty much never happened before in the history of last. We've never really come on here and said it didn't work. But this week, we had such a big project, we didn't have a backup plan. We went all in. We had a strong hand of cards. We thought we were going to win this one and come on with a massive victory and show you something that Linux could do that Macs could never accomplish. We were going to go after one of their core weaknesses as a platform. And it was a core strength of Linux. We were stoked. We thought we might even change the landscape a bit. But it didn't quite work out. So this week, we're going to tell you what we were attempting to do and how it didn't work out and why. And we're going to just go in there and dig through, get you some of the nuggets, go back in time from moments when major things failed on us and sort of relive those moments and kind of pull out what happened. So this week, it's why we couldn't accomplish something on Linux and why we think we're For really now. close. For now. For now. For now. We're going to accomplish it. It just might be, an, I might need another day or two. And in the news segment, there was a really cool event. Canonical went all out with catering and flights and a hotel and projectors. They held, they held maybe one of many future events, a Snap Sprint event, Something that I think is going to take the snap package format and push it over the goal line to make it sort of the de facto standard before the other ones have even started up their engines. We'll tell you about the Snappy Sprint event, who was there, what was accomplished, and what are some of the big things coming down the road. Plus, Microsoft's getting major smacked around for Windows 10, and it turns out it's all the things Linux is great at. And then last, but absolutely not least, it's our quick take on Corora 24, which came out just this weekend. We've got it loaded up on a machine here in the studio, and we'll dig through it and tell you some of the bits and pieces we love. Plus, we got feedback. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we got? We got the picks! That's right, we've got the picks. This one, I don't even like saying their name, because I know that there is so much contestion around this company. Sometimes I just refer to them as Big Blue, but for the sake of completeness, it is actually true that Walmart runs Linux. Uh, and this was a great one sent in by uh, Dolphamix in the uh, Linux Action Show subreddit just seven days ago, as right as we wrapped up. And uh, for your amusement, I did a little zoom and enhance here, Noah, on the image. And if uh, we take a look there and we do a little Linux Action Show detection, you'll notice that it's failing to boot. It's just hanging here. But at the very top there, Lilo boot. Lilo boot. So it's an older Linux installation, and uh, they're right there up on those monitors when you walk in through the Walmart front door, sort of the welcome area. Those big displays are Linux-powered. It's pretty neat. That's Not bad. Nice. You know, you know, all things considered, that's a pretty cool use of, Walmart, uh, of Linux at Walmart because it's, it, it's literally it in front of tons of people. I found out the other day when... So we did a Runs Linux last week, the week before, week before that, um, on... Uh, it was two weeks ago. We did a runs Linux on Tim Hortons running Linux, and their menu system ran Linux. And I, I, I asked in the on the on the live stream. I said, if anyone knows what the software they're using at the company that that uh, that makes this stuff, let me know because I'd be interested. Well, it turns out somebody knew and emailed that in. It'd be interesting to find out if Walmart is using that same system to run their, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, whatever you want to call it, display yeah, screens, or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> deals and whatnot, and video promos and swipey swipes. It's interesting too that a lot of these are like they were embedded Windows systems back in the day, and now they've just been right. replaced with ancient Linux systems. Like they're not even like even the ones they're implementing today are running. Some of them are still running the version two of the Linux kernel. Which just yeah, still is stills better than uh, any version of Windows out there. So I don't know. I feel like it's like it's 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 like putting all these Linux boxes out in the real world that could fail one day and be exploited, and then all of a sudden mm. Linux could be like this trajectory for a mass Trojan that sweeps throughout the economy and wipes. No, if wait, what? Nah, what? If, I tell you what. Here, if if I'm if I'm getting into my Mister Robot sense here for yeah, a okay. second, yeah, exactly. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna exploit these machines, right? What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna come up with some sort of hacktivism message, and then I'm going to hack all these boxes and have my message display. Uh, across all of these network displays. Legitimately, that's probably what could happen is somebody would yeah. put dick pics up on these displays or I would say or something awful like that. Um, I feel like you could come up with something more meaningful, but yeah. You know what? They, you know what they should do? Linux Action Show. Not that they should do it at all, but if they did do it, <laughs> Linux Action Show, right? And play this episode of Chris saying that. Yeah, no, don't do that. Don't do that part. <laughs> dude, dude, we got to be cool about this. We got to be cool about this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this week's episode, mostly because, you know, I think one of the core weaknesses of the Apple Mac platform and using Macs in production is if you're really using this in production, you're probably going to end up buying a Mac and not build a Hackintosh. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you're limited to old hardware that's super expensive and is really limiting. I, you know, I was I was telling a story on the pre-show that uh, sort of went into just recent hardware problems we have because we have some legacy Mac hardware in the studio mm-hmm. that controls proprietary pieces of equipment like over Thunderbolt and stuff like that. And it, it is something that I have wanted to work out. And we have been doing this now for a couple of years. We've been slowly working out the Mac and replacing it with different parts of open source software, either if it's the at the at the editing and encoding level or if it's at the live streaming, camera switching level, whatever. We've been trying to work it in there. We started with our live events. We've been kind of telling you guys about this process as we've gone along Uh, because we try to dog food and then share you the results because sometimes we run into interesting limitations. So this week, we kind of went after one of the core things that's sort of weak about the Apple platform is that's requirement to have that Mac hardware. Because when we first started using OBS and Linux in production, we started with the mindset of, let's replace that Mac Pro box, let's replace that box with a Linux box. We'll build Mm -hmm. a Linux box, we'll put OBS on it, and of course we got to fantasize about which file systems we would use and which distributions we would use and how we'd set it all up. But the core line of thinking was, let's evolve what we currently have. Mm -hmm. Let's build this box. Right. This week, it really kind of started over the last couple of weeks, now that we've done that, we started, we started realizing we, we don't need to be limited to this paradigm of thinking. Linux runs on so much more stuff than just a box. And so mm-hmm. it's with that mindset that we went into a huge project to try to do something with our production setup that I think is going to be massively cutting edge that could only be done with Linux and will lead more people to use Linux in production. Mm-hmm. And one of the places we tried to do that is at our first sponsor. So let's start there. That's DigitalOcean. Boom! DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean and use the promo code. Here's the thing. All one word. Like you're slurring it. Like you're Noah. You've had a few drinks because the project failed on you and you got to come on the show on Sunday and tell everybody why it doesn't work. Like, 
Just saying, maybe maybe you've had a couple. Maybe now that it didn't work, you've had a couple. DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code, here's the thing. I'll give you a $10 credit. Now, DigitalOcean is a great choice because, first of all, KVM is a fantastic virtualizer. They use it on their entire infrastructure, running on top of Linux rigs with SSD storage. They have 40 gigabit E connections coming into those hypervisors. They've got great data centers all over the world in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam. London. I got several in San Fran. I got one in New York. I've got one in Amsterdam. They also have them in Germany and Toronto and India. This is worldwide scale you can have for $5 a month. And you use our promo code, here's the thing, one word, lowercase. You apply that to your account balance. You get the $10 credit. Here's the real secret to DigitalOcean. I think for people to kind of wrap their head around it, they've, they've focused on the monthly pricing aspect. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the truth of the matter is, they're, they're really hourly pricing. They cap it so you won't go over $5 a month for a certain rig, but they're legitimately hourly pricing. So mm-hmm. if Noah is trying out a crazy powerful rig, he could have a, mm-hmm. he could have a system with, that has incredible performance with a great internet connection, and he's only using it for a couple of hours. He doesn't have to pay that much, and that here's the thing promo code lasts him a while. For example, the $5 a month rig gets you 512 megabytes of RAM, one core, 20 gigabytes is SSD and a terabyte of transfer. That's a, that's a great deal for five bucks a month. But when you look at it hourly, you could actually step up way up. You could get two gigs of RAM, two core processor, 40 gig SSD, and three terabytes of transfer for three cents an hour. So you can rent the super powerful cloud infrastructure by the hour. And you use the promo code, here's the thing. You create the machines, you try it out, you destroy the machines. It's a great way to test and then put something in production. So I actually did this, right? So uh, this is the actual uh, machine that I'm using um, right now is the is the forty dollar droplet, the that three cents has, an hour one. Yeah, right. And so and and so that and the the thing about uh, the thing that made this worthwhile or useful is that uh, it was forty dollars a month, which was kind of untenable long term. But to test this out, that hourly pricing made it so I could spin it up, try it for a little mm-hmm. bit, see if it worked. With no compromises, exactly. and they've got they've got they've got entire application stacks you can deploy instantly, practically, or you can just deploy the base rig. You get root access. There's an HTML5 console, so you can even watch it at, at post. You go out, you go all the way up. I mean, you get console access to this thing, and that gives you certain capabilities too. That's really nice. Uh, it's a great service with great documentation. They've just launched block storage. They've got guides on how to use it. Check it out, DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code. Here's the thing, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Action Show. Promo code, here's the thing, one word. I want to talk about one more encryption tool. So last week we picked one for an app pick. We're doing another one this week. This is something I just get on every now and then. It's EncryptPad. And this is really my work style here. This is way more my bag. Now, this is, this is a Windows screenshot, but it runs on all of them. It's, it's an application for viewing and editing encrypted text. So you just you could do a paste dump in here, write it all out, whatever mm-hmm. you need to do, save it as an encrypted file. Somebody sends you a text file, you open with this, you put your password in there, you do your thingy-dingies, and boom, it's decrypted. It does the, it, it works with GPG on your system. <clears throat> it does password protection. It can do hidden key repositories in the user's directory. It can do a read-only mode, which is really nice. Uh, and of course, it works on the Windows, the Linux, and the Mac OS. Multi-platform, simple to use, open source, open PGP file format, and it uses double protection, randomly generated key files in addition to passwords. So it's a really nice tool. Just throw in a text editor. When you save it out, it's encrypted. When somebody sends you a block of text and a text file, you throw it in here and decrypt it. I, it's just quick and dirty. I really like that. It doesn't have to be like this whole mm-hmm. social network that connects out to all this different stuff and builds a friends network. It's just send mm-hmm. me a text file that's encrypted. 
or really if you're doing your own notes it's not even really i was thinking for like client notes and stuff when i first started looking at this like this would be great just for mm-hmm. personal notes that i could save anywhere even dropbox and feel pretty confident that they'd be secure client notes so the other thing that, that dawns on me is that oftentimes i will have something that uh that it is a message that i have gotten from somebody that they didn't necessarily encrypt i want to save that message uh and hmm. i want to but i want to keep that information locked away so if i ever need to reference it again i have it it's not necessarily something i get to on a daily basis but kind of like a, a cold storage kind of a thing and actually what i have been doing is creating an encrypted file container putting all those saving all those emails in there and then just closing that encrypted file container up and storing it this seems like this would be a way simpler way yeah. plus I don't have to worry about the longevity of that, you know, right now mm. there, I mean, however minimal I have to worry about that EML file being able to open, this would solve that. It's just a text file, right? That's right. So that's very cool. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And again, that was EncryptPad, if you want to search for it on your own. Our spotlight this week, it's not something I've tried out personally, but it came in as a recommendation by PC Freak on Twitter, and it's called Simple Docker UI. Now get ready for this, Noah. It is a GUI to manage Docker containers. That is a Chrome plugin. Oh, good, because I'm terrible at the CLI. <laughs> it is a Chrome extension for managing Docker containers. Uh, and it, what it is, is it's taking advantage of the uh, Docker remote API. It does garbage collection for unused images, which I think is pretty cool. It can remove images for containers. It has support for Docker Swarm. It brings up a virtual terminal. You can search and pull down images from the Docker hub. You can stop and start containers. You can obviously manage containers and their volumes. This is actually legitimately a Pretty great UI, um, but it's also a Chrome plugin. I don't know. I'm half tempted to try it. You can see it's a little blue button. I haven't actually installed this extension yet, but it's such a great concept that I, I almost want to do it just so that way I can I can I can be that guy that says yeah I I manage my Docker containers from my Chrome web browser. <laughs> That's how ridiculous it's it's better than derp learning. What do you think? Have I sold you Noah? You sold me when they come out with the Firefox extension. Oh, Noah, jeez, that guy, that guy with the Firefox, with the Firefox. All right, well, you can find uh, the links to that in the show notes. If you'd like to send us in a project to spotlight or maybe an app to, uh, to highlight, I guess you could say, uh, com is where you go. If you got a new laptop, like I know, uh, I, saw, I saw a picture of Wimpy's new laptop. I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw this. And he's bragging about the stickers on his laptop. And I, there was no JB stickers on there. There was not a single... Now, that might be our bad. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash stickers. We got a little sticker thing up there. You can go grab a sticker for me. The show's the last sticker is round, and it looks awesome on laptops because most stickers are, are square. You can put it right over that Apple logo when you install Linux on your MacBook. Mm-hmm. And these are all nice vinyl stickers, super high quality. We've been doing this for a little while now. We've kind of figured out a good, a good uh, supplier and a good method to get it out there. Check it out at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash stickers if you want to get yourself some sticker swag. All right, no, I think that's all the picks for this week. Let's do the news. the news and this episode is brought to you by ting.com everybody knows that won't you go to last.ting.com to support this show and get yourself a discount ting is mobile that makes sense no contract only pay for what you use it's just six dollars a month for the line and whatever uncle sam's gonna take no bs mobile service they got cdma and gsm last.ting.com is where you go you know last week we were talking about how noah just got a whole bunch of ting sims which is just a great way to go. They're nine bucks, and you get the mm-hmm. same, and then when you need it, you activate it. There's no contract. You put in whatever device you want, like a tablet or a phone or a mm-hmm. uh, Internet of Things device. Um, but I think you might have you gotten beat. 
You no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Did you count? I encouraged, did... I encouraged him to buy them, and he bought the he bought ten just like yeah, I did. So, oh, he okay. One CDMA sim. Yeah. So that was this is from uh, Wacky. Is that how you say it? Wacky. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the uh, Linux Action Show subreddit, says so. Maybe I went overboard with the one dollar ting sims. Look at that. That is a wall of sims. He has himself he, there. Here, I'll, sh- I'll show you. His girlfriend made an Ultra Speed logo with him. <laughs> no, how to ting sims? That's ridiculous. Yeah, here, here, hey, where's here, the? Here. I guess the penguin on last would be a little harder. On all, I guess, the, the, the last penguin. I wanted the last penguin out of Ting Sims, but I guess that okay, would. Here be. you go. She here. I, I just I telegrammed it to you, but his. Uh, but basically, he sent me this picture. Making like, me launch Telegram. Unbelievable! In the middle of a show. In the middle. Telegram of Telegram is amazing. How uh-huh. do you transfer files? Okay. Okay. Anyways, oh, that's that's uh, that's <laughs> the a, Alta Speed logo. That is the Alta Speed logo, isn't it? <laughs> I'm glad she had two black coasters there to. Uh, that's, yeah. that's good. That's good. Just no. Yeah, this is girlfriend. You know, him. when you buy that many Ting Sims, you got to do something with them, right? I love it. That's there you go. You know, speaking of Ting, one of the things I love about Ting, I mean, this is the big game changer, and it didn't come up on this road trip, but the road trip before, I had the most amazing customer service experience with Ting. Have you ever had to actually call them up on the phone? No. Yeah, I know. They but, but, uh, once I think once I did. I think yeah. I did once. Yeah. Legitimately, their website pretty much covers everything, so you don't really often have to cover it. They have a super good dashboard and apps on your phone. But when you do have to call customer service, it's like nobody else's customer service. Yeah, so my name is Ty Roberts. Uh, I am a customer advisor. Uh, I've been here for three months, started in March, so today's my uh, third month anniversary. I've had just an entire history of retail. I've never worked in a call center. I know customer service, but that's about it. I was extremely honest in my interview and it ended up going well. And my honesty and just the way that I am with telling customers how it is. Here's a problem. I don't have an immediate fix, but you know, I'm going to do the most that I can to get you the answer because that's what I would want. That was my experience. experiences. The biggest ones are when you get new customers who are learning about the rates and learning like, I'm used to spending like $80, $90 and I can spend 30. That's awesome. Also, there's been a few times where customers have not believed that I'm an actual person. So the phone will ring twice and I'll say, hey, thanks for calling Ting, you're talking to Ty. Can I get your name? And they'll say, English, please. And I'm like, I'm speaking English, yeah. I can also help you. There's no phone tree. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. My name's Mike. Uh, that's always a good one. One thing I like about like the everyday here is that it's never stressful. There's never pressure. It's always like, you go and you got a job to do and you just do it. And it's not really overhead or get it done. You're given a lot of freedom and I like that a lot. Last.ting.com. Yeah, their uh, chat room was just saying too. Their their tech support chat on the website is super good too. So that's another route you yeah, can go. Yeah, that's actually. So I have not. I've called them maybe once. Um, I have used their tech support number of times or their uh, chat thing a number of times, and I've also emailed them a number of times and gotten answers that way. Uh, and they yeah. even helped. They actually they helped me program uh, one of the original Motorola razors. <laughs> it, was, it was a it was a it was a it was a sprint uh, razor, and somebody had given it. They, they didn't want it anymore. I was like, I wonder if I can get this to work on Ting. So. I, I emailed them. I'm like, yeah, I get this phone and I want, I want to use it on Ting. And they're like, That's yeah, it's amazing. not really an official supported model because it's like, you know, 25 years old. But she's she's she goes and digs and like she's using her Google food because she knows the terms to search for and found me. Uh, she's like, here's a Google. Here's, and she just linked me to like this random like guy's blog. And she's like, here, this guy says that he can program it. So I think this would work for you because it has all the appropriate information. Got my, you know, supposedly the rumors, the Razor's coming back. They're going to release a new edition of the Razor, supposedly. I know, I know. Uh, so also, just if you just want to help out the show, go to last.ting.com and learn more about Ting. They have a savings calculator. And while you're, while you're there, pop over to their blog. I love the series of posts they've been doing. And with the election coming up and whatnot, if you're a cord cutter or if you're, 
across the pond and you know how to use a VPN, they have a series up on how to watch, well, a bunch of different stuff. This time it's on cable news without having a TV service. And they include some of the stuff I use to uh, capture clips for unfilter in this post. So it's a, it's a good post. And you can find that just on the Ting blog. First go to last.ting.com so we get credit and then go read their blog to find out more. They're, they got a whole series from sports and all kinds of stuff up on the blog on the cord cutting thing, which has been really handy. They're really spending some good time uh, making sure that's good stuff. So I want to talk about something that's not being reported on. I, I don't know what it is about the nature of some of these events, because it's an event like this that I think is pivotal. It also completely goes against the narrative of what everybody says about Canonical outside of Canonical. And I think it's going to be the moment that pushes snap packages ahead of flat packs and app image for standard application distribution on Linux. So this week, just wrapped up a couple of days ago, Canonical held a Snap Sprint, and they flew in folks from a bunch of different projects to talk about Snap packages. And I, I want to stop right here because I want, I, I want to sort of spend a moment to appreciate what that means. As a company, Canonical spent a lot of money to rent out a hotel, to rent out a space, to put these people up, to cater food, to talk about Snap packages. They extended invitations that were accepted by people from the AppStream project, Arch Linux, Blue Systems, Debian, Elementary, Fedora, KDE, Mate, OpenSUSE, OpenWRT, Ubuntu, and Frank from Nextcloud stopped by and made uh, had chats with people about Nextcloud snaps. They produce actual results at this conference, including getting full confinement of Snap packages working on Arch Linux. There was work to get Snap package building support in OpenSUSE build service, so the build service can now build Snap packages. There was even work, beginning work, this is my interpretation reading off between the lines, to get full confinement working on Fedora, potentially using SE Linux instead of AppArmor, which would be more native to the Fedora ecosystem. These people left. I watched their individual G Plus and Twitter feeds and their blogs. These people from these projects left super energized. They talked about ways to do standard runtimes for Snap packages. This is a major advantage that Flatpak supposedly have, like the GTK 20, 3.20 runtime. This is not only possible with Snap packages, and uh, I will link to a, uh, a episode of the Ubuntu podcast season 9, episode 21, Snappy or, or Snapper Biscuit, where uh, they interview uh, Wimpy and uh, Popey interview a couple of the guys there at the Snap Sprint event, because Wimpy and Popey were in attendance as well, and they talk about how there's going to be several shared components. So if somebody builds all the stuff you need for your GTK app to use GTK, you could possibly they could possibly break that out, and you could take advantage of that. There are shared component cap capabilities for building packages that go way beyond what anybody else is doing. So. Snap packages will have the potential to make packaging these things way easier, which could be at some point integrated into the actual build process of Snap packages. Going through a, some, with the Snapcraft, Snapcraft application, creating these things, it is seriously great because it, it offers both sides. It can be something that is completely self-contained, that doesn't have any shared runtime, or it can also, it will soon be able to take advantage of the shared runtime configuration. The people that walked away from this project, and I've got several links in the show notes, really seem to be pretty energized. Uh, the uh, I, like, I love the post on Timothy Riddle's blog about uh, getting 
actual confinement support for AppArmor in back upstream to the Linux LTS package. So the Linux LTS kernel could potentially have some of these changes to make Snap have AppArmor confinement on Arch. I think this is incredible. Wimpy had a bunch of really great posts talking about the improvements to SnapD on Fedora, integrating community snaps into SnapCraft, which is going to be huge, automated testing, dogfooding snaps. I, I, this kind of stuff is really important, bringing everybody together. And it's one of the major criticisms that Canonical always gets is, well, they, they throw this stuff over the wall and they work in isolation and it's a not invented here syndrome. They brought all these projects together. They worked with them. They went out. And now we have a post here from Neil a Fedora developer, and this post is packed. And I just went through and got some of the highlights. To give you, this isn't an Ubuntu person, this is a Fedora person, and this is his take. Snaps are intended to evolve beyond Ubuntu. Runtimes will be supported in Snaps. SC Linux-based confinement is a very high priority. Detection and auto-configuration of confinement is coming. The Snap format is simple and lends itself to being able to be generated by many kinds of tools. Snapcraft is currently Ubuntu-specific, but will be reworked to remove that. Snapcraft and snapcraft.yaml format will change to easily and reproducibly build snaps using Debian or RPM-based distros, in addition to Ubuntu. The VideoLand project is now offering VLC as a snap, and the elementary OS folks are working on snaps for their Pantheon desktop applications and, try and tying it into the elementary GTK runtime snap. Similarly, the KDE Neon folks are developing KDE Framework 5 runtime snaps and building application snaps to use those. Using SnapD with alternative stores is possible. In fact, the tests done on the SnapD builds rely on a fake store set up locally to test the functionality at all. The store API is fully documented, and there is even a simple implementation of it already. Support for snaps to offer AppStream metadata is coming. The Snappy development team is highly interested in implementing support for AppStream so that it is easier for software centers and other tools to be able to discover and interact with snaps through SnapD. And Fedora packaging of the Snap system is under active development, as in it might not even require a copper repo. It may actually get mainlined, maybe. Uh, also, they say that I, he says, it says as a wrap-up, I know the workstation working group is very much behind Flatpak right now, but I see no reason that we cannot offer both. In fact, it is the best interest to our users to fully enable both systems to the best extent we can, so they have the freedom to, deliver, to develop and use applications as they see fit. That is from a Fedora developer. Uh, and I could go on. I could go on. Um, elementary OS folks, super, super excited about this. The event itself was just great because these different projects got a chance to interact with each other and talk about what they're doing outside of this. Um, this, I think, is a great example of something that Canonical does behind the scenes that later on makes it like, well, Mark Shuttleworth is trying to take over the Linux landscape with his evil snap package format. And in reality, they're fronting the bill on this. They're saying, we'll make this more accommodable to SE Linux. We'll make this support RPM distributions. There's no grand scheme to take over the Linux landscape. The master plan here is, let's just make snap packages take off. And they're putting money, and they're putting personnel behind it. And I think that's the big difference where Flatpak and AppImage, yeah, you know, Flatpak comes from the GNOME group, and they've recently renamed it and got a great new website. And there's a couple of really GNOME-centric applications that you can install with it once you add their repo and their key. But it's it's not really gone anywhere. They haven't organized big snap or a big Flatpak sprints and brought people from all the different projects together. Uh, this, to me, is clearly 
going to give an edge to snap packages. On top of which, the fact that they support both server application installations and desktop applications, which Flatpak does and AppImage do not account for, mm. this to me seems like one of the clear behind-the-scenes moves that happens that makes something like this become the new standard. Your thoughts, sir? My thoughts are, if you're going... Competition is good. Uh, at least most of us in the Linux community believe that, that, that in general, competition is good. In general, the more projects that you have, the more people that are competing... Either you, either what happens is that we decide that there is no better alternative, or we decide that there is a better alternative and we all switch. But the question that you have to ask yourself is, what are we bringing to the table that is that justifies the expense and the and 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 the split of resources? I guess my question becomes, why not let Canonical do this if they're doing a good job and they're clearly making headway, arguably more than Flatpak or AppImage? Why not? At some point, just say, hey, you know what? This would be great. Let's go ahead and just back these guys and let them do all the heavy lifting. And we'll just we'll just benefit off the top. And the, and then everyone wins, because really, if you think about it, the concept of, a, a, you know, of a of a universal app image, <clears throat> it only works if there's only one. Right. It doesn't really work if you got <laughs> three of them to choose from. So at some point, we all we at some point there has to be a winner. We've got to choose one to to go with or or the or a or a large advantage of things like snap packages and app images and flat packs go away if we if we have these three competing standards i think um two months ago a month ago when snaps were first announced uh that statement you just made would have made me uncomfortable i think mm -hmm. after this week it's pretty clear the intention here is not to make this a canonical super weapon that right. uh, they 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 retain all of the IP and the all right. all of the software behind closed doors. This mm -hmm. is something where they don't even care if you reimplement and uh, the store and they've documented it. And, and and when you start doing that, the the complaints around the CLA become nullified. When you can roll your own back end, you can roll your own store and manage that. It also means local. Um, repos or snap repos are going to be very straightforward for places like DigitalOcean or Linode or Pier One or whoever that wants to set up hosting to have their own local repos. I, I think now with the cross-project work they've done, and I don't care if they didn't run up the flagpole to everybody in the project, they got they got stakeholders from open source projects to come out and and work with groups, give their feedback, develop code actually there. I think now they've really made it clear that this is going to be a larger ecosystem project. And I think you're right. I think when that's the case, I'm more comfortable just saying, all right, this is the winner. It has mm -hmm. clear advantages. It has a lot of motivation behind it. It has money. It's the same reason that Steam only came to Ubuntu. Gabe, sitting there, rubbing his nipples, had to call up Canonical and talk to a human being and say, I'd like to set up a relationship between my company and your company. I would like to fly people out there, and they did that. Canonical engineers and Valve engineers intermingled for a little while. Like, there was business relationships that were set up. This is a thing that companies do. And so you need to have that component behind something like this. And you need somebody who's willing to spend 10000 15000 25000 Well, Look at that. That is a room full of people flown all over the world to Germany, sitting in a giant hotel room, being fed for days. That's tens of thousands of dollars, potentially. Mm -hmm. And you need somebody to be able to do that to have something have wide adoption like this. Right, right. 
So I think at a certain no, point, no, you're right. You're right. I'm just I'm agreeing with you that you can't. There is there if if short of that, what this is what separates the this is what separates the 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 kitchen ninjas from the samurais, right? Is that you have you have a, you have a company that's willing to step up mm. and say and say I'm we're going to provide you the, the the resources to propel this thing light years ahead of time. I'm not saying that you care, and I I don't think you're saying that you can't that Flatpak or App Image couldn't su- su- couldn't succeed simply existing on a website and and making its way around mailing lists and IRC posts and stuff like that. But this kind of thing just propels it months ahead of time, and it and you 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 start to get teeth when you're sitting kneecap to kneecap with these other people and discussing to them like human beings. Mm-hmm. And I think people are are probably able the developers there were able to suss out a better um, sense of Canonical's intention with the technology. And I think one of the things that made me feel kind of like, okay, this is serious, is their perspectives on it. Not the Ubuntu employees that are telling us what the great story behind Snaps is, but the people from OpenWRT and Arch Linux and Fedora and OpenSUSE that left totally energized about the technology and totally feeling like it's a great direction. That, to me, is an indicator that once you wrap your head around it and the people that are in positions to know what this stuff means like it a lot. So it's not my opinion necessarily. I'm reflecting their opinion here. And I don't care what, again, I don't really care. It just seems like let's let's get this fixed. Let's get this problem solved. There is a need for it. Uh, and last but not least, if you're at all interested in this, you can check out the Snapcraft uh, Google Plus page, which has been ret- uh, re- reposting, re- replussing um, some of the posts, like using confinement on Arch and some of Wimpy's great posts, which include some great behind-the-scenes photos of the elementary guys and others. I guess they were comparing different betas at once. Wimpy showed him his betas, and Daniel showed him his betas, and there was some there was some, some cool back and forth there. Uh, anyways, I'll have a link to that Snapcraft page. There's another shot. There, another room they've rented out, uh, so, you know, with drinks and beverages supplied to everybody while they're sitting there. Uh, the uh, the elementary folks have created a public doc that you can look at that talks about the pros and cons and why they why they want to integrate this into elementary OS. If you are curious what their benefits are and the rationales are, things like sandboxing and API stability and predictability, non-blocking package management operations, which is going to be massive for end users. It's going to mean that you can totally trash applications on your Linux box and. I have a whole class of users I know that once they install software on Linux, they never remove it. Basically, any average user I give Linux to, they install software. They don't uninstall software. Mm-hmm. And I'm, even I'm guilty of that. And this is going to fundamentally change all of that. They talk about why in this piece. Delta updates will be great. Not that we haven't had that in the past. Um, automated review. There's a bunch of other stuff that they cover. They've been working on this doc. They might not even want me showing this on air, but they've, made, they've posted it publicly. They talk about how they're going to, some of the quirks they might hit with different applications and the privileges they, they um, require. But it's great insight, and it shows you uh, how passionate these people are about this. So we have links to all that stuff in the show notes. But while we're talking about it, all the stuff that Canonical has done great, let's talk about something they've really cocked up recently, and that's Ubuntu 16.04. They're, apparently, they're so busy making snaps that uh, they really didn't make a great, no, we're, I'm teasing. But, you know, honestly, we've heard from a lot of you that have had issues with Network Manager and other problems in Ubuntu 16.04. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But, of course, Noah's, one Noah's talked about a lot. Well, I, My 16.04 experience has been phenomenal. I don't know what you're talking about. You're going to do that to me, huh? You're going you're gonna to do that to me. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. Well, the new release of Ubuntu uh, 16.04.1, I think it is, is out. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they have in this roll-up of a whole bunch of updates you might be happy to hear 
is bug number one five seven six seven two six. They've just up. They've just gone to a new version of Network Manager completely upstream. They just rebased off a totally new version of Network Manager in this uh, in this update of Ubuntu. So that may potentially fix your problems, Noah, with Ubuntu now because they've just. I- Rebased. I really hope so because it is it's it's literally to the point where I cannot I can no longer recommend Ubuntu to people. I've been switching everyone to Ubuntu Mate, and I don't know that even if they fix it, I would go back. But uh, Rotten Corpse, producer Rotten Corpse, right? He is switching one of his family members over to Linux, and he is with he's he's switching them over, and he's going to put them on Ubuntu. And so he goes to install Ubuntu, and turns out he gets bit by this network manager bug, and he knows that this isn't going to go over well. But he also knows that if he tells them. Well, I can't exactly the point. He knows the point release is coming out this week, right? But he knows he can't tell his family member, "Hey, the software that I'm recommending." This to thing you, I just convinced you to try, because you know what? Let's be honest here. It's your credibility you're putting on the line yeah, when you convince people right. to switch. Well, so he knows he can't tell them. Say, hey, you know what? Uh, it 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 it's great software. It just they they have this like super major thing that makes it so you can't connect to Wi-Fi networks, which it turns out to be kind of a problem if you live in 2016. But they're going to fix it in a in an, in an next release, and it's coming out in seven days. So just wait seven. He knows he can't say that. So he like has to concoct this story about how certain things aren't available and the hardware isn't quite working with this, but he could work on it sometime next week. And and really, it was all a big thing. <laughs> he could delay a week till he gets to the point release. Oh man! I mean that, but that if tells only you, there was some when, way to roll in new updates to fix that stuff right away, so you didn't have to wait for this huge then, right, point okay, update. All right, Mister. All right, Mister. Uh, Mister. Everything should be rolling. Last week, I troubleshot a problem. Huh. I was run, there was there was a, there was a, a server that had a, a specific set of, of software that was running on it and what happened was it was old very old 1204 old uh, and it was running fine and I updated to the latest version 1604 with the latest version of all the software and turns out it wasn't uh, it wasn't working quite as well as, as I thought it was going to work and uh-huh. what had happened was I had to add a PPA and install the the software manually rather than pull it down as as the as as the you know as the the package that they want you to use because I wanted the newer version of the software all right, so pause breathe okay. so if I'm following you there was a 1204 machine. You yes. did an update on it, right? No. Okay. No. That machine is it worked, everything is fine. Okay. They didn't release newer versions. You're replacing versions of the, the machine. I want to replace the machine okay. and I wanted the newer version of the software, which they don't officially support. So you went out and found a PPA. Well, you know, let's just let's, let's stop talking in hypotheticals. It's Airtime. I was using Airtime on 1204. Okay. And when you install Airtime in the newest version, it pulls down the when you when you go to install Airtime, they don't technically support 1604, ah. but you can get it to install. You just have to manually install the latest version of Liquid Soap. Well, it turns out the latest version of Liquid Soap hmm. has this bug in it where it doesn't play OGG files; it just plays silence. And so, and basically, <laughs> and here's the, and here was the answer. Here was the answer. <laughs> okay. Here was the answer I arrived at was that by the time they actually bundle the whatever version of Liquid Soap that they test with Airtime, and then they ship it out as as a package, if you follow their little release schedule, yes, there's a bug, but they would event they would they would fix it. It would get re- it would get patched and fixed and whatever, and then they release the next version. So, this, are you really coming at me with? This? Is this your? Yes, is I'm th- really coming at you with this. This is it. Th- here's the thing. I'm not saying that eventually these bugs don't get solved, and I understand that you and Rakai, when hold I say on, things hold like, on, so hold on, let me just make sure I understand. So, in the context in which I deploy a new version of an operating system that is not technically supported by the vendor, and I go out and find a hack together PPA right. and then put that I'll on my system. Okay. I'll use a different. Ex- <laughs> I was using it to illustrate a point, but I'll use a different example. We we're talking about Caden Live. Remember the issue we had? Not Caden. Was it Caden Live? 
whatever the video editing software that we had that problem where you couldn't uh, change the level of the audio track. Oh, Caden Life. Yeah, it was Caden Life. Right, Caden Life. And so, and the and the, the and my speculation was that it wasn't that it, it would work in an older version. And I go to install an older version, and both you and Rakai are like, "Well, then you're just going to have the problem when you update." It's like it's 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 not this just arbitrary. It's there's nothing here. Here's my point then, and my point now. I can just illustrate it better now. Is that yes, there are problems, but they eventually get sussed out if you if you just wait a little bit, then those then those problems get sussed out. So when you reach the next version, if you're only upgrading, like so, for example, if I wait three years and so they're a, a little bit ahead of me and I'm just I'm trailing behind like this, then what ends up happening is I never get actually bit by those so bugs. Somebody else. You are arguing mm-hmm. that. So let me just make sure I'm understanding correctly. Okay. The sales pitch for switching somebody to Linux goes like this. Switch to Linux. If you use the shit we made three years ago, you won't have any problems. And if you if use you some use of the new stuff, just hang yeah. out for with your Wi-Fi not working for three months, and then it, or two months, and then it'll be fixed. That's the sales so pitch. I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't sell it like that because I don't think that sounds as appealing. But I would say something along the lines of, if you're using Linux, we want to sit you on this nice stable platform where things don't change. You know, I why don't I just what? give him Windows yeah. Seven? Because Windows Seven isn't stable; crashes all the time. Screw not me. really. It doesn't crash really. Pretty much crash. I have a box. We have a, there's a Windows Seven box, and its only function in life is to run the HVAC system. And all it has well, to do I'm is take the defend Windows. It's, it, all that's all it has it has one program. It's not even connected to the internet, and that stupid thing crashes once a year, and we've got to go reinstall yeah, the yeah. entire. Yeah. Once a year, like, you're that's right. Windows. It does. Yeah, doing, it's, that's awful. Doing. So yeah. I guess my point here, Noah, is you're right. Here's what we'll do. You can either run three-year-old software, or you can wait around two months for your Wi-Fi not to work, or you could yeah. just use a distribution that oh. updates to the latest upstream stuff and the bugs fixed. Yeah. And, oh. you know, problem solved. I, do not mistake this for, for as an excuse for Canonical. This 16.04, this should they should have tested the network manager in your freaking operating system to make sure it works. <laughs> that should be a thing that should be done. That should Especially be a thing. Yes, that people are conceivably going to use for five freaking years. I feel like I, that's why they're no not rushed to fix it. They're not, they're not rushed to fix it because, like, well, it's... This should, if this wasn't working the day 1604 came out, it should have been working the day after. Hell, it should have been working six hours after. Somebody should at Canonical should have went, holy gosh, nobody can connect to Wi-Fi. We better do something about that. So here God. is my solution to all of this problem. Just run Corora, baby. Corora 24 just came out this weekend. Now, this is Fedora like it should be done. Uh, they don't have the plasma release yet, but you can get yourself uh, you can get yourself equipped with either the Cinnamon 3.0 desktop, just like that fancy mint, or GNOME 320, Mate 1.14, XFC 4.12, and of course this has got it's based on Fedora 24, but it's got a whole bunch of extra stuff added. Here's an interesting thing they did, Noah. Get ready for this. You can tell the folks at Corora must have some experience, uh, real professional developers. They just shipped it with kernel 4.6. <laughs> What a concept, huh? What a concept. Can you believe well, it, Noah? I'm, so I suppose I should, at some point I should just come out and say, you were right. I was wrong. <laughs> I, right. well, here's, the, here's the thing. It wasn't quite as clear to me until I rewatched the first episode we talked about. It, and I kind of followed myself back then. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of on it. That makes sense. And then I watched the, the follow-up episode and I'm like, I just, you, you were right. They, they should have waited and they should have shipped 4.6. <laughs> well, that makes me happy. I am not saying that it should be rolling. I'm not. Right. But I am no, saying yeah, that they yeah. should have waited yeah. in this particular case. Well, so, and Corora nailed it. Uh, you know what? Corora really does. So here, I decided to go with the Cinnamon desktop because I thought, well, let's see what somebody who's not mate does. And so this is the sort of what you get. The, the background actually is on rotation, which is, I, I'm going to just say, I think it's kind of a nice touch. You don't see that very often. 
Uh, and Corora, I am pretty damn impressed. So I'll start with uh, the setting stuff here just to kind of give you a quick sort of a sense of what this looks like. They have a menu along the top with the bar along the top. They've got the virtual desktops, the network manager stuff all in here. So whereas Mint does it on the bottom, that's one of the first things they do differently. They shipped Plank. So you have a dock on the left-hand side by default, and it's a nice dock. They oh, they also have, I was just going to say, have the sound effects turned on, <laughs> as you may have just noticed. And uh, they have a nice menu right here where you have all the, like, the quick stuff. Uh, on the side. When you go into themes, you notice that it's running the Arc theme, which is one of my absolute favorites, and it's using the Numix icons, which is also one of my favorites. Numix Circle, actually, which, again, one of my favorites. So I'm they're hitting, they're hitting the high points for me right here. It's a really solid implementation of Fedora, and one of the things that comes up, I love the sounds, one of the things that comes with is no, Yum. I do. I just would put Star Trek sounds in there. Yum okay. Extender, which is a, a graphical DNF Yum front end that I've never really used before, and I used it recently to uh, install updates on my system, and it went super smooth and really easy to use. And you can queue updates, it does the transaction testing, and then applies it to your file system. Uh, so yeah. I actually just with the uh, about half hour I've been able to play with this. This is a this is a this is a great desktop. This is a great distribution. And if if you have an interest in trying Fedora, but you want to use it as an actual desktop environment, I would highly recommend Corora. Even if you're just cool. using it with GNOME, um, and I would highly highly recommend you try it out for a little bit if you're if you're Fedora curious, but you've come from more of a Mint Ubuntu background. So there it is. The new Corora 24, a very, very nice release. And, uh, well, of course, you still get all of the things you love about Fedora. So they have, I, I, I like the Anaconda installer. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but they got a great Anaconda installer. And mm. they, got a, they, got, they got a great set of options to choose from for the desktop environments, from, from uh, the, all the classics to usually within a couple of weeks, they'll have a Plasma 5-based one as well. So. And if you don't want to follow the Fedora way and just wait a couple weeks until you install it, then Corora will let you know when it's safe to install Fedora. Basically, that's it. When Corora <laughs> launches, it's baked, and you can just launch, you install Corora, and it just fixes all the stuff you need anyways. I like the use of Plank, too. I, I uh, just was pretty impressed overall. So you guys can find a link to the download in the show notes if you want to try it out and give it a spin and let us know what you think at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. But that's all the news for this week. This week, we set out to change the future landscape of podcasting, and I'm not even exaggerating. We thought about it for a moment. We thought we might have a way to eventually make the show look like each one of our feeds was recorded locally in studio. If you're watching the video version or if you're listening to the audio version, you can kind of suss out. Well, obviously, you can suss out that Noah's on a remote connection. Pretty clear. And we thought, would it be cool if we could make it look like we were both in the same space, recorded locally? There'd be different visual looks, but the sound and video quality would be like we were both local. It's technically possible to do this already. I could record my version of the show with one shot, and Noah could record the version of his show with another shot. And then in post, we could go back and we could switch between them. We could composite together a box shot like this that would have two of us, and we could cut in screenshots. It would take about a week of production for every single episode of the show. It's not actually feasible, but it's technically possible. We want to do it in real time. We wanted to do something that if we created this, we think other podcasters would want to adopt it too, which would mean they would be adopting Linux and OBS. We wanted to do something the Macs simply can't do because they require physical Macintosh hardware or a Hackintosh. We wanted to put the entire, entire encoding and switching process up in the cloud. So that way we would both remotely connect into it, record a file there locally, 
on the remote system, they would have his local video and my local video in one file. No, and I would use a separate technology on the back end to actually do the live calling in real time. It's complicated. We'll talk about it more later. But in, essentially, it means completely virtualizing the entire main encoding and switching setup, something you could just simply not do on the Mac because that hardware just, well, I mean, I guess you could go break into a data center and put a Mac Pro trash can into like a data center somewhere. Or I don't know exactly. You kind of like set it on top of another server because you can't really rack mount those. So it kind of like be on top of like a Linux box and, probably. And good luck controlling it as well. Yeah. So this is something that we had big aspirations for because it also would enable a bunch of really cool remote stuff and stuff while we're on the road going to conferences. But it didn't quite work out. We hit some Linux road bumps. We hit some technology hurdles. And we're going to tell you about those, which for some of you will probably be more interesting than the actual end result if we would have gotten there. I mean, yeah, you would have liked the show to look and sound better. But the actual technology fails are one of the more interesting things. And luckily, Noah, being a clever boy, managed to record key moments throughout the several days of attempting. So we'll go right into the moment and go back in time and enjoy all of that. So before we get there, I want to thank our sponsor for this segment, and that's Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplug to support this show and sign up for Linux Academy. It's a platform to learn more about Linux, all of the Linux fundamentals, the advanced topics around Linux, and then branch out to the technology infrastructure and stack that's around Linux. I'm talking everything from like Ruby on Rails, Python development, Android development, core administration, networking essentials, even Azure and Amazon Web Services. LinuxAcademy.com slash Unplugged has an incredible interface to manage all of it. Really nice dashboard that helps you wrap your head around really complex topics. Ruby, six hours of your time. Oh, you're busy? Don't worry about it. Linux Academy has an availability planner. You hit that, you tell it how much time you have. I got this much time on a Tuesday. You know what? I'll watch last on Sunday and do a little studying, so I'll spend a couple hours doing this. You plug all of that into the system, and Linux Academy will automatically generate you courseware. This is such a nice system for those of us that are super busy, that don't have time to do an entire course. And then when things open up, they have a great laid out program for you. They also have instructor mentoring available, which is really nice. And they have a community stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. So head over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and take advantage of our discount, support the show, and interact with your existing community members. They've, and the reason why I bring that up is they have several events where that actually matters. Not only do they have a forum you can participate in, which is cool and helps kind of when you're in a lull, but it also is super nice because they have a social card sharing feature where you have study cards, you know, like, note cards you used to, they have virtual note cards, and people can fork them and improve upon them, which is really super powerful when you're learning all kinds of stuff. I mean, really all of the different topics they cover. I, I don't often mention OpenStack, but that's also a, another super strong courseware that they have. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Okay, Noah. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get hyped up for this because I was really excited, but I understand things were, it was, it was a long shot. Because you think about what you need when you're doing all this live stuff. You need powerful GPUs, you need a bunch of connectivity, and you need a great way to, to manage it remotely, <clears throat> low latency, so you can switch camera inputs and all that kind of stuff in real right. time. Uh, and we have a kind of 
a clip of you sitting down, sort of getting ready to start. This is right. Noah in his. Let me, let, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what we were aiming to do. So the first thing we were trying to get this OBS thing to run, but we're trying to get it to run in the cloud. So the components that needed to work was we needed a computer that ran inside of a data center with a high bandwidth connection. We needed to be able to control that computer from anywhere in the world with a graphical desktop at a high responsiveness. I because you have to do live camera switching, and then I also need that. <clears throat> computer to be able to transcode video and ingest a number of different video streams and then send that out as one video stream out. So this is, we're sitting down and we're going to tackle this project. We have a rough idea of kind of how we're going to do it, but we're not exactly sure how. Yeah, this is no easy feat. All right, <clears throat> Noah kicks it off. All right, for this episode of the Linux Action Show, there's not going to be any fancy cameras, no fancy microphones. Um, I didn't go upstairs to my uh, to my upstairs finished uh, part of the house. Uh, you're stuck in my my workshop. That's a disaster, but I get stuff done here. And uh, what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to be seeing if we can set up a cloud OBS system on uh, relatively short notice and have it working well enough to the point that we can actually do last on Sunday. And uh, it, it, I, I tried, I was gonna set everything up and record everything in a, in a nice professional, sophisticated manner, and then it dawned on me, I have two choices. I can either get this work done and then film a little bit of it, or I can film while I'm setting it up, but it's going to be significantly less quality because I can't really afford to concentrate on the production aspect of it and getting the work done. It has to kind of be an either or. So I'll, I'll show you what we have going on right now. We, uh, we are installing uh, Ubuntu Matei on a DigitalOcean droplet, and then we're going to install X2Go and, and maybe VNC. I'm not sure which option is going to work the best for controlling it remotely, but right now what I need to do is get graphical access to the machine that we're going to install um, OBS on. So got that installed. Looks like it actually just finished. So I'm going to dive in there and see if I can connect to a graphical desktop. So, so that, that was, that wait, was wait. at this point, at this point, I'm pretty optimistic, right? Yeah. Because I know that this, that things like this have been done in the past, and I haven't myself done X to go on can, the cloud. Can you explain to the audience why you would want Ubuntu Mate on a DigitalOcean droplet? Why are you putting a GUI on a droplet? So, in order for OBS to run, we have to you have to be able to see what you, my stream is, what your stream is, what picture is going out to the audience. You have to be able to see all of that, and then also you have to know how many frames are being dropped, and that that application and OBS just simply won't run without the compositing software that makes the little boxes that you're seeing that that won't even run without a graphical desktop but by default obviously DigitalOcean and, and similar vpss don't really have a a prescribed paradigm for getting graphical access to a <laughs> server because it's a linux server you don't need graphical access to it that's what that's what the shell's for son um so we're going to, you know, and at this point, we're pretty optimistic because we know that things like this have, at least we thought, things like this had been done before. So we're just really just kind of following other people's footsteps, right? And so we started to install on the VPS. We start, Of course, we we're trying a DigitalOcean. And uh, we, we set up on DigitalOcean and we get this error message and it is unspecified video error. And that's a very generic and not useful error to have. And so... It's probably GLX. It's probably that the 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 drivers, the Mesa drivers, aren't there, so it's not able to access, you know, the the Intel in embedded graphics. And so we tried installing the Mesa drivers and stuff like that, and GLX gears ran just fine. So that was working okay. So okay, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that it's not properly passing through the uh, 
it's not properly passing through the 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 uh, the, the graphics thing. So we go over to DigitalOcean and we actually created a support ticket. And I uh, and I said I I talked to him and I said, hey guys, you know we're attempting to. You know, we uh, uh, here it is. I said we're attempting to get a graphical environment running on top of it, and we appear to be running and into some this software error. running on top of it. Some well, software. Well, I didn't want to tell them we're you know. So anyway, so I gave him. I said this is the er- this is the problem from the the VMware thing that we're having, and this is specifically the section that you need to to look at because I need that that VMware driver to be passed through. And he writes back and he says, well, I appreciate you reaching out to us and sorry for the confusion, but we don't virtualize your graphics system. This may work for a VMware based hosts, but our platform does not leverage that as a host. So the driver would not be applicable. Right. In They're scenario. not even bothering with video virtualization. Well, here's, here's the problem. Yeah, exactly. And so the problem was when we were, when we were looking at the GLX info, it was saying that it was running on top of a VM host with uh, or a VMware host with graphics. Is and that so, and yeah, exa- is that your is that your X to go session then that was? <laughs> well, it was at the time. It was just in the terminal. So that's what we're getting. Oh, so okay. So okay. All right. So that's not going to work. So DigitalOcean is out. It's just we. It's just there. That, that's just not what they're designed for. It's just not going to work. Not a problem. So we're going to go to a different VPS. So we try the VPS that was being used by the people that we were following that had supposed that we thought had done this before. Yeah, text and we get the same. It text syndicate, and we get the same error, not working on their VPS either. Okay, all right, so maybe we need a much more beefy VPS. So I go back to DigitalOcean, and I get I, I rent the largest VPS they have, like the, the baller big mode. beefy droplet. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and try it. Still unspecified video error. So the second video picks up after we have exhausted three or four different VPS video or uh, VPS providers. We've tried them all, and we basically concluded, did. You look hey, for VPS providers that specifically advertise GPUs, or uh, how did that yet. work? At this yeah. point, we're just if this, at this point we've just reached the end of realizing that that uh, ah. a, a virtual server just isn't going to cut it. Nothing there. Okay, and this is that moment in time. All right, we have exhausted a number of setups in the traditional VPS setup that we've had, and it's not actually working quite how we had expected to, but we think we found the solution. The, the answer is we have to use a VPS that has a built-in GPU. Obviously, it needs that for OBS to run. So what we're going to do is we're going to try a couple different providers that actually provide us with a dedicated machine, not a VPS anymore. We're going to go straight to bare metal. So we're going to try that and see how that works. We'll come back and let you know how, how that installs. Mm, so we okay. start okay. So we start looking for this, but the problem with this is right. Bare metal is freaking expensive. Like <laughs> yeah. the first couple, first couple quotes I have are like three, four hundred dollars, and I'm like, you know, listen, I love Jupiter Broadcasting and I love making show segments, but and if it worked, it'd be no problem, right? If I knew that this this is just what we had to do, sure, I'd throw it on four four hundred bucks or whatever, and we'd have the thing and just make it work. The no problem more is, Max would almost be worth it. It would, you know, it'd be well worth it. I just beyond <laughs> worth it. But the, the problem is, I don't even know if it's going to work. Like, maybe it works, maybe it Who knows? And these I are mean, contracts. These are commitments, usually for this hardware, too. They, it's not like they, they just go and throw it in that, there and let you try it. Dude, they have setup fees. So not only are you paying <laughs> the 300 bucks, it also cost me 50 bucks just to have the guy go in there and set this thing up. So I'm like, I'm sweating bullets. And I'm like, Beard, you got to help me with this. So he's he's on. He's researching the heck. And, you know, he can Google foo anything. Mm-hmm. So like things that aren't even on the Internet yet, like people are thinking of putting them on the Internet. Yeah, he has pre-cog he has, Internet. Yeah. Yeah. He has. He's able to access yeah. that stuff and then pull it onto the Internet and send me links to it. Just it. rubs the beard. Uh, Right. And so and so he's doing that. He's diving into this and he comes up with this solution. And it, it it's uh, Kim Sufu <laughs> is the name of this company. And they, they basically have like dirt cheap bare metal servers. OK, they it's suck, like their thing. But they're here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So and are so they in I, the U.S.? 
I have no, I don't think so. I think they're in Canada. Oh. So we get, so, so anyway, so I'm looking at that. And at the same time, I have dug up some other uh, bare metal server company that offered me a $250 server, but they said, minus the $35 setup fee, they will refund my 250 bucks for the actual server if it doesn't work. So I telegram her kind. I'm like, I'm going back and forth and I'm trying to evaluate which of these better, which is the better one to go. The less expensive server that we could use foreseeably for the foreseeable future perpetually or the very expensive server that isn't really feasible for the long run, but we could use it to test and have and a show. Refund our money. Because right. at the end of the day, we do need a show segment too. <laughs> right. So ultimately, I decide what's going to happen is if I go with the more expensive one and it works, I'll just continually pay for the more expensive one because why not, right? And it, because I just, I won't want to redo it. And so if I go with the inexpensive one and it doesn't work, at least then I know that my only option is to go rent a more expensive server it, to, okay. to see if it works. All right. So, so this video picks up. We have tried, we, we go and we spend, and it wasn't exactly, I wouldn't exactly call it cheap, but it was, it cost me like, you know, I think, I think at this point I'm into it for like a hundred bucks. So this is a, this is a $50 machine, bare metal server, which by the way, took forever to spun up. And this is the video that talks about where we were when we started trying that. Okay, so uh, VPS, or, I'm sorry, dedicated hardware provider number one did not work, um, and we have a backup. But um, the thing that is really concerning to me right now is that we keep getting the exact same error, no matter, I mean, the error is the same. It's this unspecified video error, and it is the same no matter what we're doing. Um, that is a little concerning to me. Uh, because I feel like we are troubleshooting and changing a bunch of different variables and, and yet uh, we're still getting the same error. So it makes me wonder if we're, we're concentrating on the right problem. But <clears throat> anyway, this isn't going to take too long, probably another hour or so. We're going to have to reset it because every time we do this, right, every time we go to a different provider, we have to reset the whole thing up from scratch. Yeah. Uh, I have to set up X2Go. Uh, we have to install the server. We have to install a graphical desktop environment. We have to set OBS up. Um, so it takes like it takes like 45 minutes to get to every time we go through this process. So we're going to go to provider number two and we're going to give that a shot and see if uh, that dedicated hardware works. Now, this is this is going to be like a really beefier machine. It's going to be a Core i5, I think four gigs of RAM. Um, so it's spinning up. And the one thing I'm noticing is bare metal takes forever to spin up compared to, to VPSs. You know, when I spin something up on DigitalOcean, it, boom, it's done. Like try something, it doesn't work and, and blow it away. This takes 15 minutes every time I want to make a change, which is which is a huge pain. Um, so we're going to give that a shot and see what happens, and I'll get back to you. Hmm. Okay, so we go to the bigger uh, we go to the bigger uh, uh, bare metal server provider yeah, now. Big boy. Interesting, interesting little backstory. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Beard and I troubleshoot things very very differently. We maintain things very very differently. So my way of <laughs> making, here's here's one thing that I absolutely hate when I go into a, a client and this happened very recently about eight months ago and it, it just drives me up the wall and they go we want to go into this new software and we want to put this new server in but the only thing is like uh John uh he was our IT guy like 15 years ago and he set this whole thing up and like he wrote all these config files and yeah, like we don't yeah. actually know like oh what's god changed. yeah oh man no so, yeah like, oof like, we'll give flashbacks like moving up blood so pressure's just, you, going you up need to, like you need to make sure that like we get all those config files off that server because like we don't actually know how to rebuild it. Stop and then if it. a new version doesn't work, like we're gonna have to use the old version because we need we Stop need those config. Okay, so I have dubbed that the magic config, and I effing hate 
magic configs. I when no magic configs, no magic configs for you. Right. So when we're setting this RTMP stream up, Satcom one and Satcom two, I tell Beard, I'm he goes, just copy the the config from that, and I'm like, no, no, we will not copy the config. We will rewrite it by hand from the documentation that we're gonna make. <laughs> and so I'm I'm making this documentation because I'm so against magic configs, right? So I'm now we're booted up to to you know very expensive uh, server provider number two, and we have installed OBS and we're no longer getting that unspecified video error. Now it sounds like a good thing, except yeah. actually it's it's stopping before we even log in. Now, I can't even get into the machine oh, because no. I'm getting this key based authentication thing that's not working, and this picks up right in the heart of that not working. I read through the posts and uh, it did not make a whole lot of sense to me. And I hate magic configs, but as it turns out, I did a magic config. I logged into a 1604 box that I knew worked and just copied the SSH config out because it's apparently this problem, this key problem is a problem with hardening SSH. Um, so I was able to log in and I'm getting that unspecified video error again. And this is on the dedicated hardware. I, I don't know where we go from here. I don't know where we go from here because this, I mean, I don't know. So Beard thinks it might be X to go, which I actually asked him about like last night or the night before. I was like, maybe it's an X to go issue. And we tried setting up VNC and that didn't work. So what do we use? to connect to this graphical instance that's not... I mean, X2Go is... Te technically, X2Go is moving this X session from the, the computer to here, and I need auto-responsiveness. So what do we use? Other, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it gets any better than X2Go. And now, at this point, what I'm really thinking about is what backup topic can we do for a show tomorrow? <laughs> Which means I'm, wait I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to myself right now because this video, this video, this video isn't going to get aired because we're not going to do the show, so it's it's not going to get. This is a waste of time. This is <laughs> so so, and and actually, this is going to trick you up a little bit. But actually, I, I switched those two videos. There's actually one that takes place right before that. And we'll show that next. This okay. Is, but but basically, yeah, this is so that is right after. Uh, so you get to jump ahead a little bit. You realize that yes, that that actually didn't work even after we solved the the magic config error still wasn't able to work but the video that's that's next is actually takes place right before that and that is us trying to log into this <laughs> trying to log go. into this box okay okay yeah. okay well we are on provider number three and uh we don't have unspecified video hours so that's good but we're not actually able to log into the box it's giving us an ssh error and Rakai is in the process. He sent me a French page, <laughs> and he's trying to have me translate it into English with oh Google God. Translate, and I tried, but I'm not really getting the parts of the post that I'm supposed to be understanding, and I copied the, the, the part of the config in blindly just to see if it worked, and it didn't. And um, now it's like 2 in the morning now, 2.14, so I am getting more and more sleepy, and... Um, and we're not making a whole lot of progress real fast. And I, I don't know what I'm going to tell Chris exactly, because he's he's undoubtedly gone to bed for the night, um, trusting that we're going to have an episode tomorrow, which hinges on me being able to get this thing to work. And it's 2 in the morning, and I and I can't even log into the box. And, and even if I could log into the box, and even if it works, I've got a ton of work after this, because we have to get all of the RTMP stuff set up to, for him and I to send our feeds to. And then in an ideal world, Rakai and I would have time to test all that. Um, 
So he, Beard just... Uh, Beard says that I should not have just copied and pasted the config. I was supposed to read the rest of the posts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess I'm going to go read the rest of the posts and see if that gives me any useful information. I'll get right back to you. <laughs> so it did not uh, give me any useful information, and thus I was, uh, well, I was, I just ended up copying an, a, a known SSH config, and, and you saw that part. So eventually, I, 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 so then I'm getting frustrated. Now I'm thinking about backup episodes ideas, and in a last last ditch effort, I think of, I think to myself, I say, Noah. How would you control a if a client came to you and said, "We've got this server. We need you to get graphical access to it," and you didn't want to make any real changes to it? What would you do? You know, how how would you solve that problem? And I won't ruin it for you. I'll let, let you say it in the video. But I I got my second burst of energy for the night because I thought I thought we had had it solved. I thought okay. it was it was going well. Okay. Good news. I wasn't talking to myself when I thought I was talking to myself. I was. I was talking to you. I just didn't know I was talking to you <laughs> because I I didn't think you. Anyway, I think we got it working. Uh, turns out what we did is um, we got TeamViewer. Uh, TeamViewer seems to be the answer. And it, it is connected, and it is, it is not showing uh, an error, not showing an unspecified video error. So now I have to uh, configure OBS to actually bring some streams up, or get whatever camera. I got to get some video into OBS and see if it works. But we might have an episode. We might not be O's. So let's see what happens. <laughs> So you would leave it with a working no. What happened? What happened? Yeah. So okay. So the, so so after that, I I put some video streams in, and boom, they just pop right up. And I'm switching between them, and it's working. So then I film a, a short little video, and I send it to you, and I'm like, yeah, just so you know, we have an episode. Everything's good. We got it working. We're all good. And I'm like, all right, it's three in the morning. You're four in the morning. Whatever it was. So I've got you know, I've got like eight hours. I can get or six hours. I can I can get all of this stuff set up, and then. Well, and then I can go, I can sleep for like two hours, shower, and we'll be on the air. Everything is going to be okay. We, we got this. So I say, all right, we got to set this up. So Beard gets on camera. I get on camera and, uh, and we enter in both the, the RTMP feeds and I'll be darned. It's working. And we test the sync. We both count down from 10 and look to see like where the things are peaking on the cloud box. And they're just right after. No, I mean, it works. It, it works. Yeah, it's just, it's sinking <laughs> and everything is And I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm freaking out. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this is going to work. Oh, this is so great. And I, we, we got to the point where we're putting frames in and I'm adjusting the shots and making sure all that stuff is good. And I'm, I'm setting permanent passwords and stuff so that you're going to be able to use this. And all of a sudden, Rakai says, hey, Noah. I said, yeah. He goes, you got your mic on, right? Because you're talking to me because we're in Mumble. You're talking to me, right? And I said, yeah, uh-huh. He goes, is that the same microphone that goes into OBS? Uh-huh. Well, why don't I hear you in OBS then? I said, you don't hear me in OBS? It looks like you hear me. It looks like I'm sending audio. And he looks in the, the cloud thing. He pulls that up and he goes, yeah, audio's get to the cloud OBS thing. But why am I not hearing it in VLC? So he opens up my direct stream, what's streaming into the cloud. Oh, that is a box. nice advantage. You could just pull that up, pull it into VLC. Yeah. yeah. Pull, pulls, pulls the local stream up. My audio's there. So, okay, fine. You're sending it to a cloud OBS. Okay, what's going on? So we start looking. We start looking. Five hours later. Five hours. This whole process, you know, has, you know, it's been a couple hours, you know, every day we've been working on it. But this one problem, five hours straight, nonstop, him and I are both working on this. We're still stuck. And we get to like seven in the morning. And it's it, we had, at that point, what we had found was inside of the logs in OBS, it says that the audio buffer has been filled up. 
And we don't exactly know what that means. And there's now not enough time for us to go make a post, you know, on a form or, you know, or, or, or put into a mailing list or whatever and get a response back and then actually implement this stuff. So it is, it, it becomes clear. Other people have done this part, right? Have multiple RTMP streams with multiple audio feeds. That's not something that's new. That is definitely within the, the scope of capabilities of OBS. And it's definitely something that we can fix. The problem is it's seven in the morning. I have, we have so little time that even if we could solve it within the next hour, I still have to, uh, we still have to do like a test recording and make sure that all that stuff is going to work. And it just, we get to a point, it's like, you know what? We just, we can't do this in the amount of time we have. There's just, there's no way that we can make a post. Like we have to come up with some way of reformulating this. So now I'm starting to think seven in the morning, if I run into the studio, I have a backup idea for an episode that we'd kind of briefly talked about and decided it wasn't a very good idea, but I could go film that <laughs> so that when you get here, at least you have something, something to use. So I start doing that. And, and, and then Beard said, he's like, do you have any other ideas? And I'm like, well, we could, I, we have been filming. I mean, we could use this. And he goes, you're going to film a failed episode like that's your plan that's your big plan that's why chris we never do it we never you're do gonna it. tell you're gonna you're gonna come in your big plan is to tell chris that you couldn't make it work so that's what he should do as an episode I'm like, <laughs> I yeah i think i think that could be really good i think it would be very honest and forthcoming and say hey you know what we tried and this didn't work but we know what the problem is and we have a rough idea of how we're going to go about solving it and so we can follow up on a later episode mm -hmm. and really it's almost too much content if it did work for one episode anyway i mean this really kind of fills up that's true you know, and he goes, all right, well, you see, you ran it by him tomorrow. And I'm like, well, here's the thing. I'll send him a message now and I will, I'll, I'll tell him if he wants me to come in and, and film that backup episode, just let me know. And I'll just, I'll get up a couple hours earlier and go do that. So. No, but it worked out. No, it did work out. And so first of all, it's, we've, it's something, you know, every now and then we've gotten uh, uh, emails that said, how come you guys never show the projects that fail? So I thought, okay, this is an opportunity to do it. Um, and so if I'm tracking, is it on a VPS with the GPU at this point? No, no. At this point, where it is, is on a machine in my basement. You can actually, you know what? You want to show it? You can, you can actually log into it. Yeah. Now, hold on now. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> sorry. So, uh, at the time that, so, okay. So, this this didn't make it in the video. But after uh, Big Honking uh, dedicated server failed with that unspecified video error, I wanted to try it on a machine that I knew worked with OBS, right? To see if it's a, to see where the problem lies. So we installed it. We took a good known OBS working box and X to go into it and got the same error. So that wasn't working. So then the next thing I thought was, well, let's see if there's a way that I can get into that box that doesn't give me another visual way to get into that box that doesn't give me that, that error. Tried TeamViewer, that worked. So the plan now is, the step now is we have to, it's, it's actually, it's pretty simple. We simply just reinstall OBS on on probably we'll start with the lower priced uh, bare metal. Actually, no, you know what we're going to do? We'll probably start with DigitalOcean again because now it might work. Uh, we'll start with DigitalOcean and we'll kind of run through that, that. So you don't that, think a GPU is required? I don't. I think it because OBS actually gives you the option to process software stuff render. on the CPU. Yeah. yeah. Software rendering on the CPU or, say, or in the GPUs. I, I know, I know that uh, AWS has NVIDIA instances with NVIDIA <laughs> GPUs. They, they do, but I honestly, I got about uh, 45 minutes to an hour into trying to learn a, a, AWS yeah, and I gave up. Yeah, you'd have to go get a Linux Academy course on it. Yeah. But but yes, anyway, so so the plan so the the idea was once we got that far into it, right? And we got the RTMP stream set up and it was working. We didn't want to tear it back down uh for the purpose of moving it. 
Um, so, and I have a 20 gig or a 20 meg up connection yeah, in my house, so it's not permanent, but it would work for today. So, but anyway, so that's where we're, that's where we're at as far as testing it. The plan now is to move it back to a VPS and then get all of that stuff set back up. And uh, as, as long as that, as long as OBS loads on the VPS, we'll just leave it there. Um, and then now we just need to go through and talk to the OBS guys and find how to get, I mean, basically the problem we're trying to solve. And if anyone in the chat room knows, by all means, please let us know. We just need you. We just need to know how to get uh, two RTMP streams fed into OBS and uh, and have the audio work on them, which I'm sure is a fairly straightforward thing since I've seen other people doing it. Uh, and the reason why we want to do this is, like I mentioned at the top, it would give it would be a huge boost to quality. It would be something that would make both. It would really, I think, make a both huge quality improvement, but also the other thing is, is it's all software that any podcaster could go get. They just mm -hmm. have to set it up, and then you know we'll release info on that, and set up a VPS or a, a server to put it on. And think about like how it could that could fundamentally change like the Twit network, who has brings in all mm -hmm. these different Skype guests, and it doesn't sound mm -hmm. very good, and they often have problems. Mm -hmm. it, it could it could change how production is done for tons and tons of video and YouTube shows. And it would make Linux the solution they go to. I wouldn't be like, it's not going to be like it's going to have some huge, huge thousands and thousands and thousands, but well, I mean, maybe several thousand. I could see how YouTube creators and other podcast networks that have so long been plagued by, do I use WebRTC or Hangouts or Skype? And just completely mm -hmm. just re re remove that all, and you can use this remote OBS solution, and it's something that the Mac could never do. You're not going to go spin up a Mac VPS and install mm -hmm. Wirecast. It's just not, you're not going to go put a Mac Pro trash can up at a data center. You know, and the other thing too is you take a company like AltaSpeed, not not AltaSpeed specifically, but you take a company like us that has uh, that 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 is looking for another revenue stream, and you know maybe then maybe somebody like that builds uh, all of these systems and puts the backend infrastructure up, yeah. and just says, here you pay us nineteen bucks a month, and we give you these. Here are your host uh, host streams. You have, send those in, and here's your mainstream, and here's the VNC connection for you to do your switching. Um, you know, something like that. You know, you know honestly, maybe solutionifies it. We're calling this, you know, cloud. OBS, but uh, realistically, it could also be local if you had a great internet connection to pull all those different remote video feeds into, right. and you were you know you're located in a place that everybody had a good remote uh, ping time to. You mm -hmm. could just do it all on your LAN. If I didn't, if I oh. trusted this Comcast, like if I had Comcast Ethernet here, we would probably just be hosting it here at the studio. So that was one of the things was I had mentioned to Rikai, I was like, how mad do you think Chris would be if we broke into his office and used Hairmaster as the Sophie He's like, yeah, I don't know about that. And I'm like, okay, well. Because uh, I mean, we could host it here, right? Or or maybe, you know, I yeah, I don't know. But so there's it doesn't have to be in a remote solution. The reason why we want to do a remote solution is we essentially want to take the functionality of JB1 studio equipment-wise and try to mobilize it as much as possible. So that way, like... I'm trying to decide if I'm going to the Linux Plumbers Conference, if they will have me, uh, November 1st through the 4th. It's probably a two-week drive for me to get there. I, and I mm -hmm. want to be able to continue to do the shows on the road, and I want to be able to do Linux in production as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And this would be a great way to sort of have something that would give us really high quality, even when I'm in, you know, broadcasting out of an RV while I drive to the plumber's conference. So it's mm. it has a lot of flexibility in terms of remote broadcast for our setups like that and also like at events, but it's something that other podcasters could adopt and totally nullifies the whole Skype Hangouts discussion altogether. So we'll get there, and, and maybe we'll actually pull it off, and it could fundamentally, it would be a fundamental leapfrog over the capabilities of the Mac 
you know, mm-hmm. in broadcasting. So that'd be huge too, just from a personal win for us. Cause it's been a matter of two years that we've been slowly working out the proprietary software if and you, implementing look, free software. If you look up into your right, up, up, yeah, up into your right on the top of the door frame, you'll see a small little white sticker. That sticker is there. It is not peeled, but it is it is there. And do you see it? Yeah, the the Noah switch yeah. me to Linux sticker. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's up there, and that sticker is reserved for the day when we carry the last proprietary freedom hating garbage out of the studio. Yeah, I'm sticking that sticker on yep. the door. That's gonna be. It'll be. Uh, that'll be a good moment. And we got close, so we can we're, we can sniff it, but we just didn't quite land there. But now you get to see sort of the process of, uh, and maybe you get a little idea of how hard we work sometimes behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so here's here's how, that's a good point. So here's all you would have seen from three and a half days of troubleshooting. You would have seen. So this week, here's what we did, and then the video would be something like me sitting in front of a laptop saying, uh, "Here, you know, th- th- this is the laptop, and it's running our cloud OBS system, and I can switch videos here, and it's pulling in from that camera, and it's sending it out, and it would be can nicely, neatly condensed into s- six minutes and look like we set it up in about forty-five seconds. In yeah. reality, yeah. it takes like four days to do yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. So that is the Linux Action Show's look at building a cloud OBS Linux-powered Mac killing production machine. And while we haven't quite gotten there yet, we hope you enjoyed the journey. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. And in lieu of reading emails this week, we're going to cover a video question sent in by Mr. Ben Fitzpatrick, who's been compelled to switch to Linux by Noah, but apparently has hit a bit of a bumpy road. Or you might say, a rough patch. Take it away, Ben. Chris and Noah. It's Ben from the... uh last chat room and i have to tell you guys this hp laptop that i know i told noah and you that i would get working with ubuntu or some kind of linux distro for today's show has been sort of a real royal pain in the neck to do uh ubuntu arch gen do whatever linux distro i i throw at this thing even meant for crying out loud you know fedora but whatever it's just been a real pain in the living neck to get working it has uh, a theros wi-fi real tech ethernet um intel i5 24 24m six cores uh 2.30 gigahertz 2.40 something like that anyway uh it's a very good machine it can run linux just fine with its intel 3000 graphics blah 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 but the UEFI on this thing is sort of required in the BIOS for it to run optimally with any operating system, whether it be Hackintosh, Windows, Linux, whatever. The point of the matter is, um, I've tried since this morning or last night to get this working. I finally get it installed, ready to go to present to you. <laughs> and, um, the challenge is when I install Grub, uh, it wouldn't boot. It said there's no boot device found, so I have no clue why this is. I did the partitioning the way I need it, etc. It's just proving a real pain in the ass, and I just can't figure out what to do. So I'm gonna send you this video, and you know maybe you guys throw some suggestions my way. 
Uh, that's fine. Um, maybe next week I'll have it running and I can give you a better video of it <laughs> running. But yeah, this is all I've got for now. All right, Ben. Uh, hope you like it. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Now, next week you might consider vertical or uh, horizontal video because I want to see that whole machine in that shot. Uh, that UEFI, Noah, right? I mean, that guy, that yeah, just. I mean, so UEFI has got a lot better over the, over the years. In fact, so yeah, much huh? so that I've gotten to the point where I actually prefer it now because it's so much faster. Um, but uh, the, you know, you know, here's what's super great. Our community is amazing. The entire time that we've been doing this, our chat room has been helping Ben. And I understand that he's actually, uh, he's actually, he's, they've, they, they, I've converted him on one machine. Chat room has converted him. He is now installing, what is it, Ben? You're installing it on your Dell, <laughs> yeah. your desktop, yeah. Your, yeah. Your, and, and, your, and your second laptop great, too. Huh? Like they, they converted all three of his machines that he's going to be running Linux and they're helping him work through it um, right now. But if you have any suggestions for Ben, if you have if that model, if you happen to recognize that exact model and have some idea of how Ben could take care of that, could let us know over at jupiterbroadcasting.com click on the contact link and choose the linux action show yeah. from the drop down menu also linuxactionshow.reddit.com and leave a feedback thread and there it looks like the chat room is working on a few th- few there uh kawaski says my lenovo yoga requires a gpt partition table and 32-bit grub efi yep. with a 64-bit distro yep i i ran into that same problem that is a pain writing a 32-bit uh bootloader efi bootloader or whatever onto the onto the flash drive to get it to boot it's not as easy as it sounds yeah yeah so in the meantime if there's a story you'd like to hear us talk about or something we didn't cover this week that you think maybe we should have please also submit those to linuxactionshow.reddit.com noah mentioned that contact page there's also the live page over at jblive.tv and you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to find out when the show is live speaking of live shows uh Coder Radio will be live on Monday, and we have announced that new Coder Challenge. If you guys haven't heard about that, I have a link down by the mailbag section in the show notes. Coder Radio is uh, launching a coding challenge, and uh, you guys might like to check that out. And uh, check out Coder Radio on Mondays for that. All that's listed at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. No, is there any other duties, responsibilities herein we must cover before we wrap up this show? No, the only the only thing is I am I am finally taking so, social media seriously with regard to Ultaspeed. So you can follow us on Twitter at Ultaspeed. And not much there now, but hopefully yeah, we're going to flesh that out over okay. the next uh, next coming weeks and and have some interesting content up there. Yeah, and his personal account's at Colonel Linux, and I'm That's at right. Chris Elias. Did you? I don't know. I know. I'm sure you sit around waiting for every tweet of mine. Uh, in anticipation, but did you yes. happen to catch the one I did where the with that sunset looked like it was on fire? Did you see that thing? That was a wicked one. Thing, if you look, I don't follow that many people, so mm. when, when basically every post that you uh, that you uh, that you make, I see. Yeah. This is like, and I don't make a lot of posts, so yeah. I do more replies. I do try to do more replies, and I don't make mm-hmm. I don't make as many posts because I don't want to spam people. You got you got plenty of people. You got your Miley Cyrus, you gotta follow, and your and your uh, your Britney Spears, so Justin Bieber, and your be- yeah, you're you're just you're Justin Bieber's. There, I understand. But if you do want to follow me, I'm at Chris LAS, and the network is at Jupiter Signal. Huh? How about that? Network news and stuff like that. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. Don't I have don't you have videos for me, by the way? Yeah, I, I do. There I'm almost embarrassed to tell you why it's taking so long. Because you don't have an easy way to get them off of Android? I don't have an easy way to give them off of Android, so of course what I'm doing... Is telegramming them to yourself? Is telling them to myself. And, and then they're going to copy them out of there and move them... Why don't you just have Dropbox installed on your device and then just save them directly to Dropbox from your device? Is that a thing? That's totally how you do it. So install Dropbox. <laughs> you just log into Dropbox, and then it's in the share I, menu, and you share to Dropbox. I didn't know that was a thing. Adorable. Oh, it's already installed, though. That's good. And the next thing you know... Dick. Uh, so let's see. <laughs> <laughs>
Hope it doesn't start syncing all my porn to Dropbox. <laughs> <laughs> no problems. No problems. That would be undesirable. Oh, I would love it if that made it in the outtakes. Uh, so, uh, I have a Mac rant, and I think I should probably just get out of my system now. Yeah, make sure it's recording first. I collect these. I have the Telegram group, actually. So, um, <clears throat> this is why this week's episode was important to me. Right here. Now, I know it's a little hard to see because of the lights and the studes. Let's see if I, uh, if I, can you, can you see what that is if I tilt it? Looks like an envelope to me. No. It's probably your low resolution hangout video. <laughs> 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 uh, so it is, it is, and I quote, reading from the box, <coughs> magic keyboard. It's the magic oh. keyboard. Yeah, it's the magic keyboard. Now, uh, some of you may know we have a Mac in the studio here, right? Right over here, and it runs the uh, the mixer. It's an older iMac now. It's uh, like a 2012, 2013. It's got a Thunderbolt connection to an Apollo mixer, and uh, I treat the Macs in anywhere in production as appliances. I don't want to touch them because you, you when you do software updates, things break. Now, I ordered this keyboard because the old keyboard was bent and it rattles. And I was like, you know what, I just need to finally replace this because it makes so much noise when I type, right? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, I get the Magic Keyboard in. This is the new Bluetooth keyboard. It charges with a lightning cable. Isn't that adorable? Mm-hmm. And it's, here's, it's got a really neat pairing process. You take the new lightning cable that it comes with, plug it into the Mac, you plug it into the back of the Magic Keyboard, and they're paired instantly. Apple magic. Bluetooth is set up, nothing else needs to be done. So I take the magic keyboard. And I unplug the lightning cable. And I go to use it. And nothing happens on the iMac that controls the mixer. Nothing. Nothing. Somehow. Apple has managed to invent a Bluetooth keyboard that requires OS 10.11 to function properly. <laughs> to use the keyboard, it requires OS a Bluetooth keyboard. <laughs> That's been around for 10 years. Yeah. And of course, if I were to upgrade that iMac, it would break my production software. So I can't upgrade the iMac. So, so you can't use a keyboard. I can't use that keyboard. I can I can use it when it's wired. So now I have a wired magic keyboard. <laughs> and this is why I am so sick of having Macs in production. Just right there. It, it, that is the Mac it a, a a $99 keyboard. Because they don't make a cheaper Bluetooth keyboard. And <clears throat> I thought, you know, this solid, this solid, this solid metal wedge design might actually be really good for typing. It's mm -hmm. actually, I'm typing right now. Can you hear it very well? Oh yeah, I can hear. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's as not, bad as your clacking. Yeah, over it's there, not. But, but what I mean is, and here's, and here's the comparison. Right now, here's the comparison to the old one. Right. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Okay, well that one sets off the things because it works. <laughs> but here, here. Do you hear that rattle? Do you hear that rattle? Yeah. Yeah. 
that's the old one. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. So I, I desperately, desperately, desperately plead with you, Noah, that we have to get this figured out because uh, I can't. I can't. It may have not I worked can't. out this week, but it was on. It was absolutely not because of any lack of effort on my guy's part. Let me tell you. <sighs> yeah. But Noah, before we get into all of that, we do have a success story for you to sort of, you know, bring you back up, to get your spirits back up for the rest of the show. With a little bit of coaching and a little help from uh, Dr. Noah here, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Ben Fitzpatrick now runs Linux. Here's his story. Hey, Chris and Noah. It's Ben from the uh, last chat room. And I have to tell you guys, this HP laptop that I know I told Noah and you that I would get working with Ubuntu or some kind of Linux distro for today's show has been sort of a real royal pain in the neck to do. So I'm going to send you this video and, you know, maybe you guys throw some suggestions my way. Uh, that's fine. Um, maybe next week I'll have it running and I can give you a better video of it running. But yeah, this is all I've got for now. Oh, no. Uh, hope you like it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right, we'll redo it. We're going to redo it. <laughs> Let's redo it. <laughs> Let's redo it because here's the thing. Not only did he not, not only was Riffin, not only is he not running Linux, dude, but... It, it's really boring. It's super boring. <laughs> and it's vertical video. He doesn't run Linux, dude. He doesn't run Linux, dude. <laughs> okay, Jerry. I want to, uh, here's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> hey, Matt, hey, I got an idea, dude. Let's put that in the feedback. Maybe, we, maybe that should go in the feedback, huh? Okay. Hey, chat room, uh, anybody I'm else? Gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forge you the, uh, the oh. conversation. I want you to read through that and tell me, uh, when, when you have time. Just tell me if there's anything that indicates that you said you were sending me that right. I like that, I like that the whole setup was like, and this is gonna turn things around for Noah. <laughs> Okay, so, worst show ever. 